0: Hi, and welcome to another great life-impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Be here again, guys. Uh, the drive up was lovely this morning. Even though it was pouring with rain, it was, it was really nice. A uh, bit of a change in weather. Uh, one of those Aussie uh, South Aussie extremes, really. You know, it's either really hot or it's really cold or really windy or really wet, and uh, and today it was really wet, but it was a nice change. Uh, we certainly need really it. However, this morning I would love for you guys to just picture something with me. Right? I would love you to imagine that you're the landlord of a beautiful uh, rental property, maybe maybe like a shack, right on the edge of the river. And you love this place. It's all yours. I've had it for a couple of years, and what you particularly love about this place is that you can use it to serve God with it, right? You love it because you're able to serve your community by renting it out at a cheap price, and you've even organised with uh, into the contract with whoever's renting it that you're able to use it on Thursdays for a Bible study. And this this shack it's not just or, any ordinary shack right alongside the river it you know it looks right onto those sunburnt cliffs beautiful water willows all around it's lovely I think I'm smashing my mic here there we go that's better beautiful place right there's a problem and the problem is that this one renter you've had for a while now you just cannot get them to properly look after the place they just won't care for it they're constantly failing inspections due to the mess and they're never paying the rent on time and quite frankly they're they're just a little bit rude and as this goes on it just it's just getting worse and worse. As it is, now no one even wants to come with you to this Bible meeting that you're holding there on Thursday nights. No one wants to visit. So it's this never-ending trail of letters from you to that tenant, warning them that they either need to clean up the place and get the cat urine smell out of the carpet, or they're going to have to get out. Right? But time passes. And nothing changes. And you are just, you're sick of it. You love this place, and you're sick of it. They've been useless. Letters, warnings, and even sending other people down there is just not working. So you're heading there yourself. You have a skip bin ordered ahead of you because you know what a state the place is in. You're actually going to have to pull stuff out. And you go down there, gloves on. And as you approach the door, All you can hear is thumping music coming from the back shed, And you think to yourself, you know what? I actually have the higher authority here. So you pin the reminder eviction notice, which was posted about, I don't know, three weeks ago, and they haven't responded to, straight to the door, and you walk straight on in. The door wasn't even locked. And you look around the house, and you are disgusted. And you just you're just filled with righteousness. This place is a pigsty. stop. Anything that looks slightly messy or like rubbish is thrown straight out the door and straight into that skip bin. Then, after a few hours of you doing this and still no one coming into the house, you're satisfied, the house is fairly tidy and uh, and you ring your friends. So Thursday night, Bible studies are back on. And guess what day it is? Thursday. God's word with his people tonight in your house, regardless of the fact that there's someone out in the back shed. Eventually, though, that person will come back into the house from the shed. And they're not going to be just a little bit upset. I imagine that they're going to have a full blown tantrum. And I can imagine that the collision of different Authorities or perceived authorities here would be pretty fierce. On the one hand, we have the owner. Now, it's that's us, right? We're ticked off because of the poor um, ongoing state of affairs, and you know we feel that we own the place. We have a right to look after it and have it looked after well. But then, on the other hand, there's this person that feels like the house is is theirs. They're paying the rent late, but they're still paying it. So they feel that they have some level of authority. And so the ensuing conflict can only end one way. Conflict. The reality is that when it comes to our lives, we're not the ones with the highest authority. So when for the first time Jesus steps into them, or at any time in our walk with him, he points out an area in our lives that needs to change. There's this collision that occurs. And it's here that we, like the tenant, might be tempted to throw a tantrum. However, if we realise that Jesus has the highest authority, it should lead us to repentance. Now what I've just described to you guys is like, very much like what happens in the story in the lead up to the passage which we've just heard of this morning. I think, John, you read it for us? Paul. All right, Paul. Thank you, Paul. So what Paul read to us in the lead-up to that, that's very much like what I've just been describing to you. The chief priests and the elders of the people who were the religious and judicial rulers of Israel at this time, a.k.a. the Jewish leaders, uh, and, and the Romans oversaw them. In our chapter, three pivotal events occur one day after. First thing that happens in the lead-up is Jesus comes into Jerusalem in what is known as the triumphal entry. We've all heard of it before. And this is where the people welcome and praise Jesus as he enters Jerusalem as a king sent to Israel by God. The second event is that on the second day after having camped with his disciples at Bethany, Jesus enters Jerusalem again visiting the Jewish temple. And while there on that second day, there's this event that occurs known as the cleansing of the temple. Because Jesus, on finding the temple filled with corrupt money lenders, makes himself a whip of cords, and he drives out those people who are trashing the purity of God's temple. Then while there, he spends time healing both the blind and the lame. That's the second event. So in the first event, Jesus enters with the authority of a king, recognized by the people of Jerusalem. Then in the second, he enters, having been recognized in verse 11, to have the, have authority, real authority, at the very least as a prophet. And he cleanses the temple and he heals people, which sort of testifies to this. He literally cleans out God's house. It's as if Jesus had arrived with authority at his house to find it in a disgusting state by those people who were responsible for caring for it. Now this does not sound to me like a man lacking any sort of appropriate authority. His actions, the healings, teachings, and the recognition by the crowds backed up his words. This though is not what so, if you'll open your Bibles with me, in the third event, we'll see something slightly different. Look at chapter 21, verse 23. This is the third event. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. So, they interrupted him, and they said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? These guys had missed it. And they were all worked up. They had missed who Jesus was. And they had missed the authority that he had. And now they were about to throw their own full-blown tantrum. They were getting upset. They thought that this was their turf, their house, their temple. Anger is the tone with which they asked these questions because they believed that they had the highest authority so they challenged Jesus's authority to do these things but they couldn't have been more wrong and so righteous anger is what they get in reply from Jesus Jesus' righteous anger is over the ineptitude of these men to recognize and lead the Jewish nation to repentance and to their Messiah So Jesus points to their eviction notice. Stone cold, yet self-controlled, Jesus turns and in verse 24, he answers them. 24. Jesus answered them saying, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. Now that seems to me like a bit of a fair trade, question for a question, answer for an answer. But with his response, Jesus just absolutely drops them on their heads. Verses twenty-five to twenty-seven. The baptism of John. Where did it come from? From heaven, or from men? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, "If we say," He will say to us, "Why then did you not believe him?" But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd, for they will—they all will hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, uh, "We don't know." And he said to them, "Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things." Jesus has—I just love this. Jesus has achieved multiple outcomes here. He's absolutely trapped these guys is great first thing he's done is he's revealed that these men were absolutely unfit to lead God's people and tend his house chief priests were the spiritual leaders and therefore they were meant to be able to discern true from false prophets but they couldn't even say whether John was legitimately, uh, legitimately from God they couldn't answer even when all the people, they knew the truth. They knew that he was from God. It was clear. And Jesus just called them out in front of all the audience. Jesus had humbled them before the entire crowd. The second thing he does is he reveals that as leaders of God's people, they feared man more than God himself. The elders of the people being political leaders, did not want the Romans catching wind of what they perceived as Jesus' disruptiveness and feared Rome more than the truth that he might be the Messiah, the very one that they're meant to be looking out for. So much so that in anger they questioned his authority. Yet they were also so afraid of the crowd and for their own safety and positions that they wouldn't delegitimize John the Baptist. They could neither give the truth due to pride or lie because, that, so what did they do? They just simply said, we don't know. They, they had nothing. And the final outcome was that Jesus revealed himself as the higher authority. than that. He didn't just go outright and say this. However, his authority had been taken. testified to through his teaching on repentance in the lead-up, which was the same teaching that John had had. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the Messiah is nearly here. And there Jesus was saying, repentance because the kingdom is here. And then also Jesus' authority was testified to by his actions of healing the lame and the blind in the temple. It was real, visible Power from God. No one else could do these things. He was clearly sent by God. Still, Jesus was not done with them yet. There was more. Some translations helpfully put a but, like the word but at the beginning of verse 28, as Jesus continues speaking to the Jewish leaders in this confrontation. Yet now he confronts them through a parable, which is a fictional story with a spiritual truth. So read verses 28 to 31 with me. Let me find it. 28 to 31. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and he said to th- he said the same thing. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even when you saw it, You did not afterward change your minds and believe him. This is a unique parable because it doesn't appear in the other Gospels, but it expands for us on the idea of Jesus' authority. Throughout the parable, the man or the father is represented by God. God, the ultimate source of all authority, and this man gives both his sons equal opportunity to serve him. The first son represents those who, after initially spurning God, they actually turn back to Him in repentance. In this case, He's speaking of the tax collectors and the prostitutes. These people were those who had heeded the call for repentance from John and Jesus. They had recognized John as the prophet that He was. You can read this in Luke seven twenty-six to thirty. Luke seven twenty to 30 What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God. Those same people now recognised the God-given authority which Jesus had. Even Actually, even in Luke there, it goes on a little bit more and it says something else. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised, with the baptism of John but the Pharisees and the lawmakers they rejected the purposes of God for themselves not having been baptized by him so the people saw him as God as sent from God the Pharisees just didn't recognize him then back in our chapter in that parable that we were reading that second son he represents those who don't do what they say they will. They are those who still need repentance despite the intentions of their words. And in this case, that's the Jewish leaders. The chief priests and the elders of the people had said to God that they would serve him. They had been given throughout the Old Testament authority by God to lead his people. Their duty was to lead Israel to God through temple worship. And one day when the Messiah appeared, they were to Point the people to him. Their words were for God, and they loved their positions, but their hearts, they were far from him. Instead, they feared man more than God. They had defiled his temple, questioned Jesus' authority, the very Messiah, Son of God, and they had hardened their hearts, and then they sought to kill him, which can be seen in verses 45. Then as we go on, Jesus explains the parable to the Jewish leaders. Jesus points out that even when the chief priests and elders of the people saw the authority with which John was granted by God, plus the way of righteousness in which he walked, plus the sinners repenting, still they would not believe. It's not like they just couldn't see it. They actually could see it, and they would not believe. They hardened their own hearts. They chose this. On account of this, they would enter the kingdom of God after those who had repented. And what I really appreciate here is that Jesus doesn't say, you won't enter the kingdom of God, only that they would enter later. Because the reality is both sons, they needed the same thing. Repentance and forgiveness. And Jesus makes way for both sons to receive those things. Receive forgiveness through repentance. And like them, we need this. gift. Recognising godly authority is meant to lead to repentance. Which then in turn leads us to forgiveness. If only these Jewish leaders would have softened their prideful hearts and recognised Jesus' truth and repented and been forgiven and been able to change their ways. How how amazing would that have been? Israel's life surely would have been different. Recognition of Jesus' divine authority should lead us to repentance too. So the question is, how does Jesus' authority make any difference to us today? Well, interestingly, there is still a temple today. However, Old Testament times. Jesus through his death and resurrection has ushered in a new way for us and his spirit lives within us and he is active in this world through us. Our bodies, so scripture affirms therefore, are temples of and for the living God. And not only our individual bodies but this community of believers, all of us here, the church, we are called the body of and we represent him to the world through it as a collective. Both individual and collective, we are the temple. And then he comes, when he comes into our lives for the first time, the appropriate response is to recognize his authority in that temple and willingly sign over the papers of ownership to him. And upon belief in him, when he we then become tenants in his house. We look after him. Because we are called by him, by scripture, priests in his temple. As tenants, we simply look after the house. And we serve God and we serve others in it. And yes, God is going to come. And he will inspect and he will renovate that place. Because we need it. It is his after all. As believers, we need to leave behind this idea that these lives are our own to live the way we please. They're not. Because if we think like this, when he puts his finger on an area in our lives that is sinful, often we'll just harden our hearts and throw our own little tantrum. Resisting Jesus is just not worth it. The sin we persist in or pick up, it just contributes to the pile of judgment suffering that our king had to willingly take 2,000 years ago. Rather we ought to be inviting the king into our lives his house, recognising his authority and saying God, what in this place needs to change? That is the way of righteousness. Everything in our lives is His. That's our bodies. His bodies what we do with it. That's our money, his money, and how we spend it. That's our families, his creations, and how we treat them. Are we being overbearing on our kids? Are we honoring our parents? Or, for myself, how many times has God pulled me up for not having loved Joe, my wife, in the way that I ought? the way that he would have. We need to hand our selfishness, pride, and all sin over to him in humility and be willing to change our ways because when it comes down to it, we are just stewards of everything we have. It is a great responsibility and a great privilege, but it's not our stuff. So let's not be like the Pharisees who, when Jesus did come, and pointed out their issues hard into their hearts. You know, we're, we're so blessed with looking after everything in our lives, but all of it has only been gifted to us temporarily. It all belongs to Jesus. Thus, when he challenges the way we are living our lives, let's choose to surrender to his authority. When he challenges us through the Word, or when he challenges us through another believer, when he challenges us through a song or a sure impression of his spirit, let us surrender and repent. Let us not harden our hearts. No one enjoys a tantrum. Jesus has the authority to convict us of sin, and we have no right to challenge him. May our actions reflect what we say we Let's repent and be forgiven when we recognise Jesus' divine authority in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are... You are God, Creator God, and your Son, you have made King. You sent him to this earth that we might have relationship with you, our Heavenly Father. And God, we love you so much for it. We're reminded of it and his awesome sacrifice for us, his awesome love for us in the uh, communion that we took today. We thank you for him. We thank you for your great love for us in sending him. And Jesus, so we offer our lives to you now. We want to be able to acknowledge your authority in our lives. And we want to repent of our sins. Lord, when we invite you to change our hearts, we invite you to point out the areas in our lives that need change. And Spirit, may you change us. May you transform the people that we are and, and make us more. We want to be like him. We want to live like him. We want to steward his belongings well. Help us to acknowledge all that we have as yours, God, and to offer all that we have to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do.